I'm Natasha Norman, and this is the Latitude Art Podcast. Paul Signol is an abstract painter who reflects the details of his wanderings through various spaces around the city of Cape Town. The street has been his inspiration and art teacher since he was a teenager, fascinated with skateboarding, magazines, and street art. In our conversation, we delve into the hidden layers of Paul's artistic city life, discussing the complex relationship of street art to the law, the evolution of public spaces, and the way the contemporary city continues to evolve his studio practice with its mix of beauty, decay, and gentrification. I mean, I know when when we first met many years ago and I was writing about your work for Salon 91, I mean, can you tell us the story of how you started moving into the gallery space? I know, weren't your works mm. available on the street? You could, yeah. you just left them there yeah. for people and then there became this fascination with this artist who was giving away his works for free. And <laughs> Yeah, if people still have those, they should really hang on to them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure quite a few people that's a do. a bit of history right there. Yeah. Yeah, well for me at least. And what my, what I've, where I've ended up going with my work. Yeah, I didn't really have... I mean, back when I started painting mid-teens, I didn't really want to be an artist. just wanted to paint. I didn't really want to be an artist. But I've ended up becoming an artist. <laughs> <laughs> what, wait, what do you mean you wanted to paint but not be an artist? Can you? No, like I didn't want to do it for a living or anything like that. So I steered clear of art class, art school, anything that would have, told me what to do really so that's where I became quite influenced by like street art graffiti skateboarding music those kind of things and that's when I started to realize like I can actually do this without being necessarily formally educated I can kind of make up the story as I go along I can make up my own story and I can make up my own persona (laughs) I had a studio with Warren Lewis it was in Harrington Street before Harrington Street was anything. And we had like a little shop with a gallery and studios with Circus Ninja, who was a, was a clothing label I remember them, back yes. in the day. And we were still very free to do what we wanted to do in terms of the crossover between gallery art and street art because it was our space, we could do whatever we wanted, you know, so it wasn't like a very intimidating gallery space for us. But then when we all kind of parted and went our separate ways, then I kept the studio there and all the other guys moved on and new people moved in and we kind of abandoned the gallery and the shop in favor of studio space. And that's when I kind of got a bit more interested in showing my work formally I think that's kind of where the seed dropped well because you'd had the experience of showing your work to a public before so maybe there was it was lacking now that feedback loop or that engagement yeah it also started to become a way of earning a living Mm. Um, must have surprised you yeah at the time I kind of had to give it a go (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> didn't really have any, too many other avenues to pursue. Um, I think that was 
I think one of the one of the biggest steps in the in that direction was being chosen as an emerging creative at Design in Darbo. I almost just submitted my work sort of on a whim, like, oh, there's this submission thing, okay, like last minute, just quickly do the submission before the deadline. And surprisingly enough, I got chosen. But but already then my work was maybe a bit more, it had more of an illustration bend to it, but it was still, it's always been painting. Mm. Yeah, so they chose my work and I, I basically showed two paintings. That was my booth. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't a massive booth, but it was basically two paintings and a, a high chair and a small table. And I found a, I, f- I felt a little bit out of place <laughs> being a painter with like all these other sort of, you know, like furniture designers and illustrators and people who were like, you know, their, their careers were, in my mind, already quite, like, beyond mine in terms <laughs> they, of what they were doing. <laughs> you know, they were taking what they were doing quite seriously, and I was just like... Uh, I've got two paintings. Yeah, I've got two paintings. <laughs> this is me. Yeah. Uh, you know, kind of get there, like, how do I hang this thing on the wall? It's not even really a wall. It's going to be awkward. Anyway, yeah. so I think that's where I met Monique. And we started a conversation and she was like, oh, I'm starting this gallery. And you know how these conversations go with people. You're like, okay, mm, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> <laughs> and she had a an opening date in mind. And I remember going to the gallery probably six months before. And it was quite shocking <laughs> like I say seeing it when I believe it because <laughs> it was just literally like a construction site and I thought to myself okay like if the exhibition's in October there's a lot of work that needs to happen here I'm hoping you can get it done <laughs> <laughs> but she she did I mean literally like I think 10 minutes before the show was opening, the guys were putting the signage up outside on the wall, kind of wow. thing, like hanging it, you know, like two dudes on a ladder trying to put, put put the Salon 91 sign up with the lights and everything. But, yeah, we opened. When you Myself were, you and were Wesley the, van Eden. Yes. We were the first two artists to show with Monique. Yes. And, yeah, that whole year in, in between, before when she approached me and said, look, I want to start this gallery I want you to show at the gallery I haven't I haven't like it's not ready yet you know (laughs) (laughs) I I think we kind of both had to keep believing all through that time that this was actually going to happen so I was busy making my artworks and Wesley was making his artworks and Monique was getting the gallery ready and yeah we had a an opening night which was 2008 okay so that then makes the design in Darba probably 2000 and Seven, yeah, I would imagine, because design in Darba always used to be in February, from what I remember. Mm. Yeah, so some, yeah, somewhere around there. But I love what you said <clears throat> that you, you know you and Wesley and Monique, you were actually all in this state of believing. Like, <laughs> yeah. like I think that's a lovely way to think about. You know, there's this idea that there's the artist and the gallery, and sometimes I think there's a bit of a tussle between the two, but that 
kind of explains how much of a collaboration it actually is. Mm. Like mm. she was getting the space ready and you were yeah. getting the work ready yeah. and you just had to believe it was all going to come together. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think look at that time like I don't think there were many opportunities for younger and young emerging painters. Like I said, design and Darby, I, fi- I felt a bit sort of outclassed in that like, yeah, these are graphic designers and furniture designers and makers and illustrators and they all, they're being taken quite seriously for what they do, even though they're they're young, mm. you know, like they people, were, people they, are embracing what they're doing and, and they're, they're earning a living. And I felt like I'm just this painter and no one wants my paintings because I couldn't get into a gallery (laughs) (laughs) you know like there weren't as many opportunities back then in Cape Town as there are now for young and emerging creatives and painters you know absolutely I mean now you've got loads of galleries that most artists start their careers well now Hmm. and I don't want to say easier but there's definitely a platform yeah. Which is great. Whereas back in the day, there were no platforms for what I was doing or someone of my stature in the arts. You know, <laughs> like you were either with like Michael Stevenson or you weren't with anyone. Right. You know what I mean? Like how did how do you make that jump? It's it's nearly impossible. So what do you do and how can you do it? So Monique, I think, really kind of pioneered and opened the door for a lot of us who are now. I mean, now we're like, I don't even know how to do the maths, but now we're quite a few years later. Mm. And because of the opportunities she kept giving us, our careers had the opportunity to grow. So then you found yourself <clears throat> in a gallery, which you hadn't expected. I mean, you know, yeah. you, you'd been, you said you want to be a painter, but you didn't think you want to make a career of it. Now mm. you're working on the streets and then suddenly you've, you're in design in Darba and then you find mm. yourself in a gallery. Yeah. I mean, was that a bit of a shock? I mean, or was it? It was quite a surreal experience. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in my naivety, <laughs> it, it was quite like. Like, how did it, I get here? I, I mean, I remember going into the gallery and looking at the works on the wall and thinking like, they don't look like this in the studio. <laughs> You know, and and because they don't and, look like this in the street. <laughs> no, no, no. But it was like the lighting. Yeah, I was like, whoa, these paintings look incredible. If I do say so myself, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. But but kind of shocked at how good they looked in the gallery, given you know they'd been framed nicely, the lights were sp- they were spotlit. I mean, the way they looked in the studio, they looked. I liked them, but they looked pretty average compared compared. So there was a realization that the gallery can really bring something to the work. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And so Monique started doing things like Cape Town Art Fairs and Turbine Art Fair and one or two projects abroad. And we kind of just went step by step, really. Yeah. To the point where she signed me as an artist so then we were really working together like essentially working for each other which we did for many years which was great yeah 
And through that time, your practice developed. I mean, I remember those early works were on paper. Mm. And then you started experimenting with different substrates. Mm. So you went, I think, canvas and linen and... Yeah. But I can definitely see when I look at that sort of visual timeline, when I sort of actively started to steer my work more towards abstraction. And like you say, moved from working solely on paper to working on board and then to working on canvas from having paintings which were quite well composed and centered in the middle of a of a pe- piece of paper and when i say a piece of paper i mean like a 1.5 by 1.5 meter piece of paper yeah, like no, a big piece of paper yeah. <laughs> um to crossing over th- onto board and then onto canvas and then eventually exploring sort of to the edges of can the canvas like actually as a space to be used and sort of filling space and then playing with negatives and positives and yeah all kinds of different kind of pushing and pulling you know like when you're kneading a loaf of bread dough or something you know like you like you push it and then it kind of rebounds because then you also it also spread over the canvas. I mean, I remember some of your displays at the Cape Town Art Fair. The the works were paint like the images. You had paintings, and then forms from the paintings mm. made themselves visible yeah. on the walls. Yeah. And so they became they kind of moved into a sort of installation. In mm. So those are all sort of the legacy of painting on the street. Is that I'm always drawn to like the interesting space and using a space and making it a bit more interesting than just a painting on a wall. If I'm ever allowed the opportunity to move from the canvas onto the background, which is happens to be the wall usually, then I take that opportunity. You know, I, I kind of like to work in and around and within a space. But you, but it's interesting that you speak of the canvas or the paper as the space. Like you said. Your images started in the middle of a large sheet of paper and then you started exploring the edges and then you go over the Mm. edges and Mm. then you come back. So I think it's a fascinating way that you particularly look at painting is that you're looking at the substrate and the display space all as part of this idea of playing with space. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, and that the painting lives on beyond the canvas that if it makes its way onto street apparel... Mm. It's now taking on a whole nother life and context beyond. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. It should. (laughs) But I think that's because I self-educated myself in that way. You know, I can imagine if I went to art school, they probably would have squashed all my ideas and told me to paint a certain way and you can't do this and you must do that. Maybe that's not true, but... In my head, that's what would have happened, which is why I avoided it, which is why I say I didn't really want to be an artist. I wanted to paint and be free to do whatever I wanted to do and show however I felt like doing it, which is why I started, in inverted commas, showing work on the street because I could reach people. Like if the gallery didn't want to take my work, like too bad. Like I'm going to take it to people anyway. Yeah. They can have it if they want it. That's cool, you know. And and a lot so of I people would, did. I mean, I remember yeah. I remember hearing about you long before I saw any of your work. Everyone was like, "Oh, I've got a senior. I've got maybe we'll find some more." It became <laughs> yeah, this yeah, treasure yeah. hunt. It was yeah. a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I would go, come across an interesting space in the city or wherever and then think to myself, I like this. I'm going to do something here, you know, be it like an interesting wall or texture or like combination of street poles that kind of lended themselves well to having a, some kind of interaction. And then I would kind of in my mind map out what that would look like and then go back to my studio and make a bunch of stuff and then come there late at night and put it all up. And then like the next day, everything's different. <laughs> like people wake up to like something new and different, which I really got quite excited about. But now your your practice is predominantly street, I mean, studio based. I know I've seen some, you still do mural work in a kind mm. of formal capacity. Yeah, it's generally those murals are commissioned. It's quite hard these days to paint anything in the street just because you want to anymore. It's, it's, it's either quickly painted over, or, well, firstly, it's painted over because it's not allowed to be there, which means it's not, it's not allowed. So you mean <laughs> if the, you get found doing it without permission, and the, the permission process is a whole process in itself. So if you get caught doing it without permission, you can, you can get a fine, you can go to jail, that kind of thing. It's, it's, it's criminal. It's always been criminal. <laughs> and I don't know why graffiti and street artists want to decriminalize it. <laughs> that's, that's kind of part of what it is. So, yeah, having a legal wall is great where someone... <clears throat> yeah, I just don't want to be... <laughs> I don't want to be on the wrong side of the law these days. <laughs> Fair enough. But so also when, the bylaws have changed. I mean, from when you were first working on the street, I yeah. think the bylaws, and they've become much tighter, much stricter. Yeah, they have, definitely. I mean, we could do anything we wanted, anytime, anywhere. But this, the city's changed since then. The city's become world-renowned as a beautiful place. Not that street art doesn't make it a beautiful place. Well, people, it, can, it, can, it, can, it can have its place. Yeah. But I think that place has been a bit too boxed now. I was going to say, people come to Woodstock to tour the graffiti. Oh, yeah. They're it's, outside my studio every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And looking at illegal, essentially illegally painted murals, because some yeah. of the stuff outside your studio is not, was didn't get formal no. permission. Mm -mm. So it's strange that we have this this weird tension between the city saying no, and yet there's this whole industry around yeah. coming to see the street art in mm. Woodstock, mm. which is interesting because a lot of the walls are slowly but surely getting painted over, which in itself is kind of. You're not really creating jobs by you're creating one job, the guy with the gray paint to come and paint the wall gray. He's got a job. But then the guy who walks around every day with his handful of tourists showing them street art, he's losing opportunity, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think there's there is a middle ground somewhere in between. Yeah, like I say, the work that I do on the street now is generally for a client and it's commissioned and it's I'm not going to get in trouble for doing it so but my mind is still there yes <laughs> my, my heart is still there do you see a space and you see the potential of it 
or or maybe it's both that you you see something crumbling and there's something beautiful about it. Mm, the decay is really interesting. Yeah, that sort of organic process of nature taking back what man has built and then man trying to reclaim is <laughs> quite an interesting interaction, which I yeah, I do do get a lot from that. Maybe it's a mm-hmm. metaphor for the the city and the graffiti artists, this kind of constant yeah. push pull. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The sort of man made yeah. man made space, natural mm. space in this. Yeah, I mean, there are all these moments, like wherever you go in the city where it's like there are these moments where if you're looking for them, you can find them very easily where like there's these accidental things that have happened that were not intentionally made to be beautiful. But if, you, if you've if you got an eye to find them, you can find them quite easily, you know, which is I think what those are the kind of the moments and the things that I notice a lot. And then there's a little bit of like a mental note or a photo that, you know, that I use as a reference. And usually it's maybe like it's a texture or it's some combination of color. Yeah, or just interesting shapes. Or Yeah, and I was just thinking about how that part of Woodstock where you live, that that's really the beauty of it. Like you say, in, in a perhaps a more affluent part of the town, a building can just get bulldozed down yeah. and then a whole new architectural yeah. dream imagined but and you forget when, about what what was there before so quickly yeah mm. whereas in those areas you you are literally working with what you've got because you mm. don't, can't afford the big dream yeah 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 which is the appeal of old victorian quarters and and medieval yeah. quarters and other cities yeah. that resourceful cobbled together mm. beauty mm. Yeah, we've got plenty of it here in the city. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can walk up Wales Street into Burkhop and then you've got all these great colorful houses on the left-hand side. <laughs> but you must walk a bit further <laughs> than just that, you know. Those are the ones that are nice. Yeah. But there are other ones that are not as nice, but they're just as nice, if you know what I mean. You know, they're They've not got necessarily as looked after, but you can see the history there. You can see the layers and, yeah, that's what I like. Mm. The street is your space. Yeah, it's everybody's space. Public space, we used to call it back in the day. (laughs) 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 We were all fighting for public space. It's our space. Yeah. (laughs) Mm. Keeping the dream alive. <laughs> <laughs> and and rightly so. We yeah. have to keep that dream. Yeah. I suppose that is what, what everyone talks about is um, gentrification. That The mm. thing that, that makes everyone so angry is that when a certain aesthetic takes over, it prescribes that space and it yeah. no longer becomes public yeah. space. Like it, it bugs me that I have to go far from my house to go somewhere safe. If that makes sense, yeah. you know, I don't always feel safe and comfortable in Woodstock. I mean, people when they see it from the outside and they see it on Airbnb, it's so romantic, but it's not that. <laughs> <laughs> well, not where we are, at least. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it bugs me that I have to go to somewhere like Battery Park to feel like okay, like 
oh, this is cool. It's like this is a space for everyone. Anyone can come here and play basketball, ride skateboard or just lie on the grass. And So hopefully we get something like that soon. Mm. So I think what I'm saying is we've got lots of these spaces, but for some reason they're just not really used or they're not they're not designed and built well for the public. Oh. They're there. Yes. But nobody uses them. Because or it, people do use them, but not the kind of people you want what? to be using them. <laughs> you know, they're not yeah, the kids don't go play in that park around the corner from us. Yeah. I mean that and their kids living all in that street that I'm sure would love to kick ball on the grass rather than in the middle of the road. <laughs> yeah. Where the cars are all the time, you know. Yeah. And I think probably to some degree it does take a bit of ownership from business in the area that have, like you say, gentrified and moved in and made it in inverted commas cool. But they've they've made it cool for them. They haven't made it cool for everyone, mm. you know. Cool, let's use a better word, accessible. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see the old Tani that lives next door to us walking into the Woodstock Exchange. You know, no. like it's just not for her. Th- but it should be. Like where's the local spice guy and the local veg shop? We've got to go all the way up around the corner, <laughs> you know, to that to that guy that sells his veggies on the corner. Yeah. But, I mean, that I, I think that's also one of the joys of being on the street so often. You know, you cycle regularly and in that area is you begin to see the, the ironies and the, you know, in South Africa we often talk about these two economies mm. and, like, how absolutely evident that is in Salt River, yeah. you know, right yeah. n- right yeah. next to each other yeah. and, and into, intermingled with itself, you know. Mm. It's, it's just so fascinating how those yeah. two cl- kind of – yeah. Live. I mean, spaces like like that. I mean, our studio used to be in what was the old Woodstock Industrial Center, which is now the WEX. So even in that building, we've got like a lot of history. Or I have a lot of history. Like I know what's on the top floor there and I know what the view looks like and I know that my studio used to be there. <laughs> I didn't know that really in the, yeah, in yeah. the new WEX. Well, yeah. the old WEX. So even saying... And speaking about what we're speaking about now, like those kind of developments, they do, they they do try hard. They, they I mean, I've painted on the inside there. I was going to say, cool. there's a mural, and on the I've inside. painted across the road on the inside, which is cool. So that's why I say, like having those commission projects in a sort of a street art context is cool. Yeah, I don't have I don't have the solution, but I would love to be involved in the conversation that helps to find a solution, you know. Like I say, there's there's the park across the road from that building next to the church which is around the corner from my house. And that park has been basically derelict for ever since I can remember. How can how can it be that like no one's done anything about it? I don't know. Because yeah. if you are working day and night to put bread on the table and then you're asked on top of that to look after your public park, mm. what is the – what is the, how is that yeah. going to be possible? You, you, yeah. You're struggling to just get by on your yeah. own. So it is about f- that 
you know, mix of when a suburb has enough sort of floating capital that mm. people have time and money, then you can sort of rally the the, the people together. Yeah. yeah. But I was just thinking perhaps a metaphor for the whole observation on this area of Woodstock is that beauty and tension between natural plants and growing in a concrete environment. Like there is a middle ground. Mm. There is somewhere where, you know, plants have a place in the city, but it has to be mediated because yeah. what concrete needs and what plants need are not necessarily <laughs> the same thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, concrete repels. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, weeds are resilient. You see beautiful weeds yeah. growing off yeah, yeah. in the tiniest concrete crack. Yeah. Mm. So perhaps that is, and do you feel perhaps that is what your paintings draw on most most strongly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do. They find those spaces, those cracks. <laughs> those cracks of concrete. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. And to just to sort of finish off the conversation, I'm interested. Do you want to maybe explain a little bit about um, your process? So you, you um, I know we've spoken about it together quite a lot. You walk the streets, and you you have a sketchbook with you, and you you create compositions also mm. based off photographs. Yeah. So. I always start with the drawing for a, for a piece, for a canvas. And that's mostly influenced by like what we've been chatting about, those sort of interactions and things that are seen and noticed, shapes, colors, forms, combinations of all of those. Yeah, sometimes it's just a very loose drawing. Sometimes it's a much more composed sketch which I would call a composition sketch. And those drawings always sort of overlay and end up complementing each other and playing with each other and overlapping each other. And I suppose that's where the conversation was going earlier about how the works eventually morph and change from year to year into something else as those drawings kind of lead the paintings in a sense mm. so yeah it's a combination of those drawings lockdown led me to making work indoors or not not being outdoors led me to that must have been so frustrating yeah it was yeah <laughs> been there and done that hey all of us <clears throat> But particularly so, for you, as someone who draws the inspiration, yeah, yeah, from yeah, yeah, for sure. No, it was. I did. It did have me wondering for a bit. How am I going to do what I do? How am I going to continue doing what I do if this is going to be our life from now on? Which thankfully it hasn't become. But I had this big pile of old magazines that someone had left for us, and I started using the magazines as like source and inspiration. So finding those spaces within old magazines and like cutting them out and collaging them and putting them together that, so that so now there's a combination of that element too mm. which is interesting because those spaces do exist in real life but they've been photographed and put into a magazine which almost makes them feel a bit surreal especially then when you start cutting the magazine up and mis mixing and matching parts mm. 
then you really do start to get a very interesting fabric that becomes a starting point for a composition sketch, which then turns into a painting. And so I've quite enjoyed that process quite a bit now recently. Sometimes I'm more deeper into that and other times more into the interaction that I see in real life, mm. like physical, like minute by minute, that fabric. But yeah, it seems to be leading my working into quite an interesting space in terms of different composition and different color. Yeah. I suppose that's, I'm enjoying that quite a bit now at the moment as like a source of inspiration. It's not the only one, but it's probably, I'd say maybe 25 to 30% of my works are finding inspiration in like a handful of cut up things on a, on a glass table in the, in the studio. Thanks to COVID. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Which is cool <laughs> because I never thought my work would go anywhere in that direction. And then I kind of stumbled upon a way of working. But it's it doesn't almost, feel that removed from, I mean, you walked into the Latitude Hotel and for the, you actually saw the carpet that was based on one of your paintings for the first time. And you were like, oh, I haven't actually ever seen this. So... Mm. It feels like a lot of what you, the end product sometimes is manifested in ways that, that are quite abstract. So yeah. to reaccess the space of the interior building mm. back into the work doesn't feel that, that alien. Mm. When I first started doing composition sketches for paintings, it also happened quite accidentally. So I'm quite happy for these accidents to happen and to lead me in a certain way in terms of actually making a painting. I think maybe I've mentioned this to you before, but I did a residency in 2011. Was it 2011? Yeah, in Finland. And someone left their tracing paper there. So then I took the role of tracing paper to the library and started tracing all these cool finished design elements and patterns and, and objects just as like a bit of inspiration. And then the one day I put all those drawings down on the studio table when I got back and then I realized like, oh, wow, there's actually like there's something going on there. That's like a really cool bunch of shapes together. And that's where I was like, oh, okay, I can actually like do a drawing and use that drawing to inform the painting. And that's where that whole drawing and observation and la And la layering with the tracing paper. Yeah. I mean, the observation was always there, but the, the composition was happening in my head and then the composition didn't always translate that well onto the <laughs> canvas. But then I found something that like bridged the gap, Yeah, which was the tracing paper. And so... Yeah, what bridged the gap during COVID was old magazines and collages. And I mean, if you look at someone like Jean Hoffman's work, it's like basically collage painting. Asher Zero, same. It's like mm. collage. It's painting, but it's very heavily. It is collage, but it's it's painted collage. Yeah, which is I think quite interesting because that's a, a whole reinterpretation simply by using painting. I mean, you could just leave it as a collaged pieces piece of cut up paper bits mm. but then you choose to 
reinterpreted and and give it a new life with the brush. And something else happens there. Yeah, something definitely happens there, which is totally amazing. Yeah. Mm. Well, thank you so much, Paul. Thank you.